Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, one eight seven 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 zero stop in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit one eight hundred gambler.net in West Virginia or call one eight hundred five two two four seven zero zero in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gambling helpline ma.org or call eight hundred three two seven fifty fifty four twenty four seven support in Massachusetts or call one eight seven seven eight hope. NY or text Hope NY in New York. State improves to 10 and 2 on the season with a 35 to 16 home win on senior day against the Michigan State Spartans. I'm Tom Hannafin. He is Thomas Frank Carr from Blue White Illustrated. Thank you for joining us here for the live postgame show on YouTube. We have a lot to dive into because this was a game that frankly was a lot closer than it should have been uh, based on the way Penn State was playing in the first half and then into the second half. Really, the old cliche, a tale of two halves. So this was obviously extremely positive you get to send your senior class out on a very high note and now Penn State can hopefully certainly look forward to a New Year's Six bowl game I think that feels really really good for a lot of Penn State fans and there are plenty of Penn State fans that didn't think a 10 and 2 season was possible this guy included so this is a good end to a good season I know there are Penn State fans out there that want great elite in the college football playoff, in the national title picture, but taking this season for what it has been, T. Frank, and what this game was, how do you feel? Uh, it's over. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just got a tingle of it's over. Like, the regular season is over. We got through the whole thing, and that's really, I'm kind of stuck on that right now of, like, the season is complete, and Penn State is 10-2. and two. They got, even in this game, they got a 35-16 victory over Michigan State. They were very much 
the um the middle the upper middle class of the Big Ten uh, the upper class of the Big Ten if yeah. you look at the rest of all of the other teams that they've played this year uh the the Big Ten team that gave them one of the biggest challenges Purdue is going to the Big Ten championship game and the other one Michigan Michigan uh just steamrolled uh, Ohio State earlier today so you know it's just kind of we knew who this team was post Ohio State um and it's just been consistently inconsistent, but also it's been getting there every single game. And um, it's over. <laughs> There's a lot of things that are over. That was the final home game for Sean Clifford at Beaver Stadium. For people that thought that was never going to end, they even made a joke of having him on the original eight, 1856 football team or whatever at the end of the broadcast there. It, it's, it's over. Happy Thanksgiving. The season is over. You get a portion of your Saturdays back. I don't know. I'm just stuck on that thought right now. And for me, just as a football fan, I'm very sad that college football season, the regular season has ended because we pine for it so much as, as broadcasters and as fans. So for it to be gone already, it's really kind of sad. But also, I agree with you. There are so many ups and downs to this season, even though 10 and 2 looks far from inconsistent. If you paid attention to this football team every single weekend, you knew this was an inconsistent football team. So I, I share your relief um, to all the fans that are tuning in here live. Uh, please get involved in the super chat. All your questions, your comments will be highlighted throughout the show and your donations go directly to Blue White Illustrated and help T. Frank get ready to put lights around his house uh, for the Christmas season, especially. We're very excited about that. Yeah. Uh, yeah taking a look here at uh, Kevin's uh, contribution. Thank you very much just want to say thank you to you guys for an awesome oh thank you man the content you provide every week is top notch well we appreciate you kevin and honestly t Thanks, frank kevin works so freaking hard before we came on here he was publishing an article putting out a tweet he wrote the article and then he's on top of that probably uploading the website doing this show he'll have six other shows he's got to do probably before he goes to bed so do we officially have forward. seven shows here on the bwi daily edition channel with the hoops podcast and the post game show so we are full steam ahead now that's seven considering there's been a post game show every week and i am just like you know it being over is kind of like you, you cross the finish line, but you're also, like you said, sad that the, the journey is over. This is one of my favorite times of the week is the BWI Live postgame show. I love hanging out with you guys, um, and I appreciate all the support everyone's given the channel. If you could for the video, as always, I know Joe Bot has already given you the instructions in the chat. Yes. Please like the video. So let people know that we're doing the BWI Live postgame show. Um, get more eyeballs on this. We can do more fun stuff. We can grow the channel so that you don't have to hear my voice every single time we're here on the YouTube channel. There are, uh, there are plenty of talented people that I want to get involved in. We need to grow for that to happen, and that is through your support, through donations during the live shows, and just watching the show, watching the videos, and hitting the like button. So I will get off my soapbox for the rest of the season until the bowl game. I promise you about that, but thank you. Uh, a contribution here from M Shive too, I think is important considering looking back at this season overall. Did Penn State only lose to the number one and number four team when all is said and done? Now, obviously, right now, Georgia's number one. I think it's Georgia and then probably about six other teams and then about everybody else. But to yeah. the point that M Shive 2 is trying to make, you lost to at least this weekend the number two team in the country and the number three team in the country. That ain't bad. Yeah, especially considering um, two parts of that, of how far you pushed Ohio State into that fourth quarter, and then secondarily, um, what Michigan did to Ohio State. So 
you know, in, in that sort of misery loves company, Penn State isn't the only team that got steamrolled by Michigan. I don't so feel far so bad season. all of a sudden. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and if anything, you feel better about the way that you played Ohio State because that yeah. again was three and a half quarters of hanging tight with Ohio State and the way Michigan just beat the doors off them in the fourth quarter. That was eye opening. I was listening to the game. I well, I didn't see the game, but it, it certainly seemed like Penn uh, Ohio State was playing cover zero, and they 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 paid for that. Um, and you know, there's, there's different ways and different, uh, thoughts on how you stop teams. And, uh, you know, they, they lead to very specific outcomes. So that was, uh, you know, not to get off on a tangent about that game, but it just shows you that like football is very matchup driven. And when you have an advantage or you want to take something away, there's the opportunity for you to, uh, give up something else, which I think leads us into what happened today between Michigan state and Penn state, which is, Early in the game, Penn State was able to get running through formations and numbers. And then in the third quarter, I think Michigan State realized that Penn State had a freshman left tackle and that their offensive line was banged up. And they started playing like it. Penn State wasn't able to run the football because Michigan State's front four controlled the line of scrimmage. But eventually they found the workaround. And that's been consistent this year is that Mike Yersich, even when the offense goes into one of those lulls, they have been able to put a drive together. And in this game, they got a drive late and they were able to get a, a touchdown um, to seal the victory before everything kind of fell apart. These are two teams, uh, T. Frank, coming into this. It felt similar in the fact that, okay, both teams really banged up. You know, you look at this game and Penn State had a lot of injuries along the offensive line. Obviously, Parker Washington is out. Joey Porter Jr., to his credit, played a few drives maybe early in the game. The dude was suffering from appendicitis three weeks ago, and for him to come back and just be able to step on the field for what is potentially his last game as a Nittany Lion at Beaver Stadium, uh, probably you can understand his motivation, just giving it a go as much as he could. Uh, hats off to Kalen King, who I thought played a fabulous game. He was picked on a lot, and he responded quite a bit. Yeah. Um, so it, there, there were a lot of injuries for this team, uh, for Penn State, and then Michigan State, obviously, they're off-the-field issues regarding the tunnel fight with Michigan has cost them some players. Uh, there was a great quote during the broadcast from the FS1 team saying that uh, you know Mel Tucker had said during practice they can't hit anybody because they don't have the bodies to do so. So when they come yeah. into game days, that's when they hit. So two teams limping to the finish line in a way that it's the end of yeah. November. That's to be expected. And you saw some of the things that Michigan State, I, I want to focus on Penn State's offense to Michigan State's defense. Michigan State's mm -hmm. defense, really good defensive tackles, solid linebacker core, not the best secondary that's out there. But yeah. they did a nice job there in the second half. They were getting gashed there in the first, but they really bowed up in the second. I, I, what do you attribute that to? Was it scheme change or pride? Uh, you know, I, I don't necessarily agree that it's a great, defensive line i think traditionally I they I, are. I think the d tackles are good that's about it <laughs> yeah, yeah so they've been hot and cold up front with this you know kind of patchwork defensive line and the defense other teams that are i think a little more healthy probably could have handled that defensive line a little better penn state at one point did have vega yuani at right guard and uh, drew shelton at left tackle which is why they had to settle for a field goal down in the red zone is because a couple of their running plays got blown up by veteran players making veteran plays against freshmen. That is not to say that that was the reason in the second half that that happened, but it was a factor at some points in the game of Penn State had more negative plays than they normally do because that group that had been gelling and working pretty well 
this there there were more competent linebackers and more competent defensive tackles. 64 is a very good defensive tackle. Mm-hmm. Um and then they it just it depends on whether or not the Michigan State secondary is paying attention because the first two touchdowns the Penn State got were coverage busts. Uh, you you could see Xavier Henderson was furious, I think, with himself because two players went with the number two receiver, Theo Johnson, wide open for a touchdown on a uh, you know on an all out blitz, and then in the second in the second touchdown they all bit on the on the receiver screen and they left another player wide open for a touchdown. Um, so that's kind of their mo is they will make big mistakes and they'll try to jump passes, but they're not necessarily talented enough to do that and I think it's just about whether or not you can hit those Penn State they struggled to find open receivers down the field um, but then they were able to you know kind of patch together that final drive and I apologize because I was doing a couple of different things I don't have a clear memory of exactly how that went down but it was a it was a um, uh, yeah the strange play action on the wheel route was a re- really good play where they had been mimicking this one play all game long and then they uh, basically do their fake run through screen and then the throw to the the tight end um, so they're able to find some workarounds from what they were doing in the middle of the third quarter which to your question about scheme they were just running between the tackles there was it was a lot of just read the numbers give the ball to the running back and i think michigan state was just goading them into giving the ball into the middle of the line which michigan state knew they had an advantage there so that's kind of the the chess match that i saw although there's going to be some good film review there because i got to figure a little bit more about what happened in that in that from third to fourth quarter about what the transition was there getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing A -a one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Of course. Uh, Gary Noddle, thank you very much. Uh, Good season. A lot to build on. The future is bright. To piggyback on that, uh, David agrees with you. Next season is going to be it. The offensive line better. Abdul Carter, who was a monster today. Jalen Reed, Kalen King, Katron Allen, Drew Aller, Nick Singleton. Next year is promising, and that's something I I have been saying for a few weeks now (laughs) on my podcast, Pater to Penn State Football Show with myself and former Penn State quarterback Matt McGloin. You can get that anywhere on YouTube, Apple uh, Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts. So there's obviously a lot of optimism. Uh, Joe Bot saying 2024 <laughs> national champions. So I, I think he's put 2023 up already in the chat. He is he is hyped or, after a win over Michigan State. Or he's, he's playing the he's long all game. The way up here. I don't know. He could be playing the long <laughs> game. Be like, oh, next year will be another building year altogether. But um, T. Frank, in regards to what David said, I do want to throw his up there again. Uh, in terms of what you know the offensive line to have been, and you talked about mm-hmm. all those freshmen, they've got the offseason to develop and hopefully bowl practice, bowl game to, to get some reps. Yeah. How do you feel about what Penn State could be next season? So they, they need to address the tackle situation, um, and that could be addressed a number of different ways. Olufashinu could come back. If not, they have Drew Shelton. Um, I don't think I've seen enough of Drew Shelton to say 
that next year they're going to have an elite offensive line. I think he's got a great start, but he needs to do some work, and I don't think that that's me taking a shot at him at all. He's a freshman who went out there and you know was a part of the offense and helped them win these final games. But to get back to what we were talking about of playing against Ohio State, playing against Michigan, they're going to need significantly more from that left tackle position, and that's... You know, he's a redshirt freshman. What we saw from Fashionu this year, a third-year player, you know, who had a chance to really work on his body and get a lot of reps with Phil Troutwine and all of those things that go into building a good offensive lineman over time. So that left tackle position, that's what I want to see. Um, but left guard, Landon Tangwall should come back healthy, which is going to be competition with J.B. Nelson. Hunter Norzad presumably is going to center. I think that's a great move for him. And then at that guard position, you got Vega Yuane and Sal Wormley. And to me, that and right tackle is going to be really fascinating because for the first time in a long time, they're going to have depth and competition. So Sal Wormley can't be bad in pass protection next year. Because if he is and Yuane is not, they're going to have the ability to play more than one player at that position. Now that might do the co-starter thing, or somebody might outright win the job. And then at right tackle, does Caden Wallace come back? The tackle position, they're going to need to add somebody in the transfer portal because you can't just throw in another freshman there, even if you're very excited about some of these uh, five-star offensive linemen. Javen Williams coming into the class of 2023, which I, I believe he's going to be a tackle, but kind of like Drew Shelton, um, he is very raw in his pass protection where he is uh, he's not he doesn't do that in high school. So tackle to me is is the big thing about what what's going to happen because if they can if they get an upset and both of their starters from the beginning of the season come back, then you've got serious depth at all four positions. But that's going to take some of these decisions over the next 3 to 4 weeks, maybe uh, trailing into the new year to find out what that group looks like. Speaking of uh, decisions for next season, I do want to highlight a handful of questions here in the chat that are really good. So I want to jump away here from the one I have posted. I'm going to jump to this one. Um, is Juice Scruggs gone for sure? It's T. Frank, it's so hard to tell now because with this, this COVID year, you and I were texting <laughs> yeah. about it in regards to Parker Washington. So yeah. is Juke, uh, Juice Scruggs completely gone from college football? I think he has another year of eligibility but he's played well this year, and I think it would be a good decision for him to go to the NFL. And this is the reason why. is He is a mature offensive lineman. I think he's a finished product on the college level. Uh, and all that he would be doing is risking injury and making perception changes, maybe, about what he is as a football player. Because to me, if you're an interior offensive lineman and you're not a first-round pick, then your starting threshold is like the fourth round. And then from there, it's need, fit, and interview, coaches, all of those things. All of those intangibles that we don't really know how teams are going to value all of those things. But I think he's been a good football player this year, but he hasn't been an overwhelming, obvious sort of talent. Although he is the most consistent Nittany Lion up front, and he has led this team. So I think he's going to make a good player prospect, but I don't know where the NFL is going to value him without those elite traits of high-end production, and domination blocks, all that stuff. Speaking of NFL aspirations, do you expect Parker Washington to return next year? Obviously, his season ended due to yeah. injury. Uh, I think it would... This is another one of... Jahan Dotson proved me wrong, because I thought after 2020 um, that he was kind of in the same position of, is he going to get any bigger? The NFL isn't going to really like receivers that are small and don't have a big catch radius. 
but he improved his speed and he became an uncoverable route runner who went in the first round. So Parker Washington can come back, but the, the what he has to come back for specifically is to be healthy in the offseason to train because he was not a part of uh, participation in spring practice with some undisclosed injury. And he ends this season with an injury. And I kind of believe he was playing with an injury in 2021. So he needs to be healthy and he needs to be in the weight room and he needs to be able to improve his speed. So that's the biggest thing for him to come back for. If he doesn't um, and he's injured right now and he can't go through the the postseason training process, I do think his stock would drop. So I do think it's probably a good idea, like Mustafer last year, for him to come back one more year and try to improve his draft stock because I don't believe he's going to be at 5'9", 215, not a burner, great body control, but he doesn't have the perception of Dotson. So he's another guy that I think could go, and it wouldn't surprise me, but the best answer probably is for him to come back. Yeah. Parker Washington, for me, is the perfect NFL slot receiver. I, I know that can get sometimes a negative connotation that you're saying, oh, the guy's not a one or something like that. Antonio yeah. Brown was a slot receiver most of his career. So I think there's plenty of ways that Parker Washington can contribute uh, in the National Football League, but we'll see if he returns to Penn State. I do want a couple, a couple, uh, a few questions here. Vice Prez asking, uh, will Penn State have the D-line to stop Michigan in the running game next year and to fold over into a super chat question here from Kevin. Will the beat down in Columbus today do uh, help Michigan take over as the class of the Big Ten? So kind of two-part question for you, T. Frank. So defensive tackle is the biggest concern along the D-line because uh, P.J. Musfer, I don't think, played great this year from an on-field production, but he was a valuable defensive lineman in that rotation. I have not been overly wowed by any of the players behind him at that position. Uh, especially some of the more veteran players. And I do think, I, I think it's not not even a secret, defensive tackle is going to be a need in the transfer portal. That is something that you're not going to get from a player developing into that role of P.J. Mustard because nobody played a standout role at that one tech, in my opinion. So uh, I do think at the other position, they are in a great great spot with Keziah Izzard. I, I, he might even have a breakout season where he might be that true, complete three technique good in today. this defense. It was good today. He's been coming on. Now, there are some times where he does struggle with double teams. And, you know, that's why I don't think somebody asked me, should he get, you know, he bulk up and be that one tech? I, I don't know that he is the run stuffer, the guy who's going to absorb double teams on a regular basis. Or not that this group even does that a whole lot, but the guy that is lined up closest to the center that is most likely to get double teamed is the one technique. Even though they're bouncing all over the place, you've got to have somebody that has the stoutness to kind of maintain some pocket integrity or some defensive line integrity. And I, I just, I think Izzard and uh, Durant and uh, Beeman, you rotate those three at that position. That's a really good spot to be in at three technique. And then it becomes, you need to find one of those guys that you're never going to have like a guy that's 320 in this defense, but somebody that is uh, over 300 pounds and does have a little bit of beef in, in run defense. James Franklin's talked about that. But I think that when he said that, he wasn't necessarily even talking about making guys 320 pounds. He was talking about don't be 250 and play defensive tackle. Right. Be two, if you can be 275, be 275. If you can be 290 and you can get to 295, great. But don't go undersized. Don't try to be a lean defensive end playing on the interior. They had some guys that have made some of those decisions over the years. 
A question here from Brian. Um, after watching the Michigan versus Ohio State game, how far really is PSU from elite? And this kind of goes back to the question that was posted a little bit earlier on in terms of, you know, has Michigan overtaken Ohio State as the team uh, in the Big Ten? So, you know, a big question at the upper <laughs> echelon of the Big Ten. Uh, so we're learning more about Ryan Day. I know there's been some comments about Ryan Day in the chat today. And... Um, this is what I learned listening. And again, I didn't watch the game in depth, but I was paying attention to the game today. To me, it sounded like Ohio State took last year personally. And they were, all this year, they were working on their run game. They were working on being a physical team. And to me, they learned the wrong lesson from that, that moment, that they need to lean into their strengths, which is scoring so many points that Michigan State or Michigan can't keep up. The reason Michigan won today is because they played cover zero and players got behind the secondary. It wasn't they didn't run the ball until the third and the fourth quarter when things were kind of spiraling for Ohio State. They need to play coverage, keep Michigan doing their thing of churn and churn and churn, and then hit big plays. Not having um, Jackson Smith and Jigba was a problem this year. And mm -hmm. I think that uh, we underrated that because of all the star rankings for that receiving core. But when you lose your best receiver, it hurts. <laughs> and and that's what they need. Like, I know as, as much as it seems like it's a, a, an embarrassment of riches, but that offense, what they need is two or three really good receivers to stress you so much that there are no answers. And they have been able to do that over time but not this year and certainly not last year when they were run over. Um, so I, I think that they learned the wrong lesson and they tried to be Ohio State or they tried to be Michigan instead of being themselves. Mm -hmm. I, I agree with that. Um, to the question from Brian, how far is Penn State from elite? I, I think that, I think there's yeah. still a gap. I think it's obvious yeah. watching those two Titans clash, two very different styles of team. And then the crazy thing to think about, T. Frank, is that I think this Michigan team is maybe not as talented as it was last season. And I think J.J. McCarthy presents a different dilemma in that yeah. he is mobile, but he's not as proficient as Cade McNamara was last season as a passer. So I think there's some things about Michigan that, you know, you miss Ajabo and Hutchinson, so it's a different team, but... That team got smoked by Georgia last year in the yeah. college football playoff. I would expect a similar outcome. So it's very odd to think that within the Big Ten, you can have two very different juggernauts in Ohio State and Michigan. And then there's Penn State that if there yeah. were no divisions within the Big Ten, it would be theoretically Penn State would be the third best overall team in the Big yeah. Ten. So jj mccarthy to me is fascinating because you watch the game against illinois and he was he couldn't help them win that game when there was yeah. the opportunity and in this game and i feel like i I'm, i just watched penn state and i just watched them do all these things and have all this analysis and i i feel like i'm breaking down the ohio state game more than i should in like but i can't help myself you give you give guys simple reads and they can make plays I, the we saw the same thing with uh, Wimsat for Rutgers early in the game a couple weeks ago is they were giving him cover one and he could read it. And when you give him simple, clean reads, it you know, guys do have the ability to throw the ball into tight windows and make plays. So you give a guy like McCarthy a clean read too many times and he will hit the play. I thought they need, you know, kind of more coverage. Make him earn it. Make him earn it through his eyes and his reads. 
Um, but the problem is when you play zone against them, he can do that in the underneath coverage of pick you to death. But when it comes down to it, they gave up too many explosive plays in the passing game early and then didn't bank any points. Um, and no, I don't think Penn State is too far off those programs, but there's something that we have to stop right now and address. And that is everything changes now. Right now, the season is over. December is here. The college football transfer portal and name, image, and likeness are going to upset the apple cart. It's going to turn things upside down. Players are going to change teams based on the opportunity for NIL somewhere in America. It, it could be Penn State. Penn State could benefit from the transfer portal. We don't know. And when it comes to recruiting, can Michigan actually capitalize on this through NIL? What I have heard, and I'm not, I'm not an expert on these things. I don't know these things in depth. I have heard that it's not going great in Michigan with NIL. I'm not reporting that. That's just you know things that I have read from people I trust and respect. And that's going to be the name of the game is talent acquisition. And if they can't keep acquiring talent because they're not playing the modern game of NIL, then it doesn't matter. Like it's not, it, it's all going to evaporate if they can't continue the momentum. Both Michigan and Penn State have gone on the record a number of times saying they are not going to pay players to come to the university. Both schools have been on the record saying that if you elect to come to either Michigan or Penn State, then once you're in the door, of course, you'll have access to NIL benefits. So I think until you see some sort of sweeping reform on NIL to make it so that you can't go all University of Miami, Florida or Texas A&M and just pay somebody to come, uh, yeah. then you're going to continue to have this problem. Ohio State has not been on the record one way or the other of what they're doing. So take a guess at what they're doing. Um, Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. It's only a kick, a jump, a block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle, a run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. So we, you and I have been talking a lot about Ohio State. Now, I do Ohio State and Michigan. I do want to address as many questions in the chat as possible because these are great questions going forward in the next season. Thank yeah. you to everybody that's diving in. Steven is in the freaking parking lot uh, with no live stream, <laughs> unfortunately. And this is what I love about Penn State fans as one myself is that even after a win or a loss, you go tailgate. And you hang out in the parking lots, and hopefully you listen to something like this. So, Stephen, we appreciate that. And why would uh, you even try to drive? That's what I I, I, I agree. Would never try I've been to trying drive. to tell my parents this for years, and they always want to go back to the hotel or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's just just sit in the lots and drink for a while. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Stephen, uh, in a way, he's helping me get to my point here. The fight in Clifford's win. Yeah. The story of this game is that this is. Finally, legitimately, the last home game for Sean Clifford as a yep. Penn State Nittany Lion. I believe Sean Clifford is the most polarizing Nittany Lion football player to have ever worn the uniform. 
How do you feel about what Sean did today, this season, and overall at Penn State? Um, I think it is beautiful symmetry because uh, this is the Penn State. This game rushed the ball 45 times for 160 yards to power the offense. Now, they did have five passing touchdowns, which again goes back to Michigan State having one of the leakiest secondaries I've seen in a long time. But the story of the game is that Catron Allen carried the ball 21 times for 82 yards and Nick Singleton carried the ball 17 times for 78 yards. And to me, that is that is Sean Clifford going back to 2019. They were 10 and 2 when they had Journey Brown and Noah Kane. This year, they have a quality rushing attack to lead the team. The offensive line may be not as good from start to finish because of the injuries, but um, he just proved to be a guy that could win you games, but he couldn't do it all himself. Through through COVID and through the, the coordinator changes and through injury and all those things, for 2020 and 2021, he was asked to be, in a lot of ways, a franchise quarterback. You didn't have a running game, and you had to manufacture yardage. And you were asking him to be the guy that had been there and done it and seen everything. And he was never that quarterback. But he still fought through all of those things. And, and I'm not trying to, like, memorialize him as this great player. But it is very indicative of what he had to go through of being asked to do more than he could. And then when he wasn't asked to do more than he could, they become a team that wins 20 games in two years. Uh, you were in the press conference this past Tuesday when uh, Ben Jones, I, I thought, put it extremely well. And I talked about yeah. this on my podcast, uh, Pater with Matt McGloy and myself, is that Ben put it perfectly. And he said, quarterbacks, like coaches, are loved for as much as they won. And thinking back on some of the recent quarterbacks under James Franklin, Hackenberg kind of gets a pass because it's a weird time following the Sandusky scandal, a lack of scholarships, a lack of overall talent around him, but some talent, obviously. So it was just odd, obviously, the transition from uh, Bill O'Brien to James Franklin. Then you get Trace McSorley, who, in the words of Ben Jones, won too much for anyone to dislike him, which is yeah. completely accurate. And then you have Sean. And Sean's story is fascinating. I think it was Audrey Snyder who put up an article that said he committed to Penn State in July of 2015. Saquon Barkley was a freshman at the time <laughs> at Penn State. It's mind-blowing what yeah. he has uh, gone through. You appreciate that commitment. You know, that was seven years ago that he said, yeah. I want to be a Nittany Lion. So I, I respect what he's done on the field. I appreciate what he has accomplished. I think there is always going to be some sort of asterisk next to his records because of the amount of games that he played and the things that the teams ultimately did not achieve. Can you pin that on one person? No. Now, that's how college football fandom kind of works is that you pin those things yeah. on a coach, on a quarterback. And, and you and I have been on this show a number of times when the ups and downs of the season have gone on and been like, well, that wasn't entirely one person's fault because that's football for crying yeah. out loud. So he, here's a, here's a play that encapsulates being a quarterback. Um, Sean Clifford gets sacked, holds onto the football and everyone goes, what an idiot, no pocket presence. What a terrible play. But if you're watching the play, uh, it was an RPO pass and the receiver didn't run a route. The person he was looking to to throw the football, and there's only one option in that situation, had his head turned away from the football. So you're going to get blamed for that as a quarterback, and no one's going to go back to look 
And even if I say that to, you know, the thousands of people watching this show, half of them aren't going to care. And the other half are going to go, oh, interesting. I, I'm still going to blame Sean Clifford. I'm still going to have those feelings about that. And that's what it's like to play quarterback is even when it is not your fault, it is your fault. And uh, it doesn't much matter unless you produce. And that's kind of the, the narration of Sean Clifford that I was trying to, you know, paint is that on both sides of this journey, he has operated the offense that has a lot of talent and he hasn't gotten in the way, but he has been a passenger on that vehicle in a lot of ways. Now, there's, that's taking a lot of the credit away from him as a quarterback of not having any part in the run game where he does have to make sure that they're running into good looks and all that stuff that James Franklin talks about are the things that you don't know about the quarterback. Uh, but as far as the guy with the ball making the plays, 10-2 in 2019 and 10-2 in 2022, they look all, they look pretty similar to me. Uh, just really quickly, I do want to address uh, this here from Kevin. Why is it Nate here to talk <laughs> bull projections? So when will you and Nate Bauer be able to talk bull projections? Well, if you didn't check out the show on Monday, I think it was when Nate was on, he had one of the best rants. You need to go check out the BWL uh, Monday live show because I asked him about bull projections going into this game, and he just went off for about four minutes. We even extended the show because it was so good. Um, but he is not here because he's worked diligently at Beaver Stadium to bring you his instant analysis, his uh, recaps. I believe he uh, does the highs and lows after the game. So that's where that's the that's the not fun actual answer. But we are going to have a bowl selection show coming up and a bowl preview show coming up this week. Um, I don't know what day yet. We're still going to plan that probably Wednesday. So be on the lookout for that of looking at the bowl selections and all that stuff. Uh, Gary, thank you for your super sticker. Again, we appreciate everybody uh, donating and getting involved in the super chat. It goes directly to Blue White Illustrated to help them do what you love. And also, just a reminder, for just $10, you can get a subscription to Blue White Illustrated from now until the start of next football season in 2023. All you have to do is head to on3.com and search Blue White Illustrated for the homepage to sign up. It's a fantastic bargain. You can hear T. Frank all the time and read all his fat. He does some really fabulous work, like thousands and thousands of words uh, to actually process everything that you guys are seeing as Penn State football fans. And now that we don't have as many press conferences, I'll be able to write more because I'm also our photojournalist that goes out and records most of the things. So not not to be like, oh, look how hard I'm working, but it's like I'll be able to write a little bit more now that we're into this next part of the season. I also do want to say, like, uh, it is important that this year, like, I want to thank everybody who's donated the channel. And uh, at one point, somebody donated money because they thought it was going directly to me. <laughs> yeah, we say that in jest. I don't, FYI. I don't <laughs> take I don't take a percentage of it. Uh, it does keep me employed, and uh, and that is something I take very seriously. <laughs> so I do appreciate helping people helping me uh, stay. If I can pay for myself through through uh, what we bring in here on the YouTube channel, I feel like I have pretty good job security. So uh, if you job. guys if you guys want to keep supporting the channel, another thing is. I so desperately want to get to 10,000 followers on YouTube. We are short of that. We didn't hit our goal this year, but we're going to before the bowl, uh, the bowl game. And uh, if you can help us push us over that line, I would greatly appreciate that. Because, again, we are the largest Penn State podcast in the world, but we need to get to 10% of people at Beaver Stadium. I don't think that is a hard number to get to. No, no. Slowly but surely. I I'm sure it's going to get there. Um, thinking more big picture in regards to Penn State, uh, one thought you know that I've talked about on Pater with Matt McGloin is the job that Manny Diaz did this season. 
And now I'm sitting here as a Penn State fan being like, I hope they can keep him. Um, I don't know what his situation is with Penn State, and, and I imagine he would be highly sought after. I think everybody understands what the problem was at the University of Miami, and it wasn't necessarily Manny Diaz. Mario Cristobal is learning that right now, and that that is a program with a lot of issues. So I think this season has put a new coat of paint on a guy who is a very, very good defensive coordinator, and obviously yeah. has a lot of talented players to work with on this Penn State defense. So what do you believe the future of Manny Diaz to be? Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I don't I, I genuinely don't know. I don't I actually don't think that this year would be the year for him to go. And this is why. Um if you look at how long it took Brent Pry to get a coaching job and, and and a lot of this Sean Fitz made a really good point about this of defensive guys take a little bit longer to get a job. Um, and he is a super hot candidate right now, but every single organization is going to want a guy that can get you points and want an offensive guru. Um, and with Diaz, I don't know. I don't know what happened at Miami. I don't know what sort of like stuff is lingering about his job outside of coaching at Miami. Um, so with all that stuff, I think another year here would go a long way to making him a candidate that gets a high profile job. So that's, that's the other part of where Penn state needs to get to as, as a cord, as a, as a staff and as a university and as a program is they need to get to a point where, you know, you're not sending Brent pride of Virginia tech, which is a good job. You're sending Manny Diaz to, uh, you know, pick an ACC school that's really good. Like, it, I don't know, some the high in the higher percentage right. of those coaching moves rather than having to start kind of in the middle or the lower half. I'm sure Manny Diaz could get any job he wanted at a certain threshold right now. But if you stay at Penn State, there's the opportunity that you can get a higher head coaching job than, you know, Ricky Ronnie at Old Dominion or things like that. Ironically, Ricky Ronnie was part of the recruitment of Sean Clifford once upon a time. <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, one thing I was trying to pull it up uh, here in the chat because I know somebody dropped it in, uh, but I do want to address it. Now, obviously, we're going to start the speculation of what bowl game Penn State could be going to. We have to see what happens in the Big Ten Championship and all the conference championship games before that gets determined. And you and Nate Bauer have already sort of addressed it. We'll probably continue to address it. But the recurring theme I continue to see amongst Penn State fans is three words. We want Bama. Does mm -hmm. Penn State really want the Tide? <laughs> I, I haven't watched them. I don't know. So, no. First off, no. You don't want to play Alabama without your starting left tackle, your starting right tackle, your uh, starting cornerback, and whoever opts out for the bowl game, wide receiver, like you're missing a lot of people. I understand that like we're giving Penn State credit for blowing out all these teams. These teams at the end of the year weren't all that great too. Like we need to keep both of these in, in mind that Penn State was so deep that they could blow out these lower end teams in the Big Ten, but they were also the lower end teams in the Big Ten. Teams that have legitimate pass rushers, teams that have very good football players, I don't think you want to see Drew Shelton playing those guys just yet. You want to give them time to develop, or you want to get those players that are injured back. And then, of course, the bowl, all that stuff. It would be fun for everyone, I think, to play Alabama. But if you go in there and you get beat by Alabama, do remember what you asked for. 
So if you just want to see them play Alabama in a meaningless bowl game that they could win or lose and it doesn't really matter to you, then sure, I'd love to see them play a cool team like Alabama too, one that you don't get to see very often, one that has some juice to it. But if you're going to then be angry that the team that doesn't have half of its starting offensive line or whatever, that is what you'll get, you know, because that is, they, they are the number one recruiting class regularly. They are deeper than Penn State with all the attrition that you go through. So without knowing anything about Alabama, I'm imagining they're in a better position even now with one of their worst seasons in recent memory. You know, I, I, I think you don't get an over-inflated uh, over sense of what this team is at the moment. Uh. I believe this is the actual Nate Bauer. Uh, yes, that is Nate. In. Hey, guys, want to echo Kevin's request? Do you mind going over <laughs> both objections? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, Nate. We appreciate that. I look forward to no. speaking with Nate uh, at some point. You don't want to do it? <laughs> no, because here's the thing. As I'm like him, I don't have any idea. Here's the thing. Ohio State got spanked today by uh, Michigan. So... When let's just start with the basic mathematics of if Penn State was going to go to the Rose Bowl, which is all anyone cares about, that is literally all this conversation is. Is they fans want to hear Nate or I say that yeah, it's the Rose Bowl, definitely. I don't know what these jokers in the College Football Playoff Committee are going to think about that loss. I don't know. They had Tennessee after they got blown up by South Carolina in the top five, right? I have that, or they had them in the top ten. Yes. Uh, they also lost their quarterback, Hendon Hooker. And they were still in the top five. All of it is just a guess. And if there's one thing I don't like doing, I don't like guessing. That's why I'm the film analyst. Is like, at least I know what I saw. I don't have to make it up. In this situation, maybe. Yeah, I, I, I don't know. I don't think after what I saw that that um, Ohio State's going to get to college football playoff. Now, everything else has to play out. And, of course, two wins or two losses is worse than losing once poorly or once very badly. But who knows? I just don't know. Yeah, losing to the number two team in the country or number three team in the country, excuse me, at the time, yeah, probably won't kill Ohio State's resume. I have, I personally believe that the college football playoff is not about meritocracy. It's about business. And there is no good business sense in having TCU in the final four teams that play uh, in the college football playoff. It's but you have like to throw having... them in every once in a while. You do. So, so that it doesn't look like it's rigged. But they did have Cincinnati <laughs> right, exactly. in there last year, right? So they had Cincinnati in last year. So maybe we're good to skip over TCU, TCU this year. Uh, the one, the one thing I'll say is my my feeling this whole time has been that the Cotton Bowl makes the most sense. It's you know top remaining non uh, Power Five team left after the other bowls. So unless somebody doesn't go to the Rose Bowl, Penn State is going, I think, to the Cotton Bowl. But I don't know. That, that's like me saying, hey. I know exactly what time uh, that the sun is going to rise and at what angle tomorrow. I have no idea. I'm sure the information is out there somewhere, but I don't have it for you. Yeah, I'm very curious to see. Obviously, the the conference title games are going to have an effect on this. I could sit here right now and speculate that, oh, you could see USC ultimately wind up in the Rose Bowl, but that's if they get snubbed from the college football playoff. If, to your point, Ohio State's loss to Michigan is seen as catastrophic, that could be a big deal. Say TCU loses in the Big 12 championship game, then maybe USC uh, sneaks in. Maybe LSU sneaks in. Who knows? So it's constantly fluctuating. I don't know if Penn State fans would be content with 
something like playing an Oregon or a Utah in a game like that. I don't know if the Rose Bowl would even be on the table, and you have to think about that. I think the Cotton Bowl, I agree with you, that that makes a lot of sense. Uh, but What's more important here? Let, let, me, let me ask you this. I think this is the more important thing. What is more important, playing in a good bowl or winning a bowl so that you have 11 wins at the end of the season? Because to me, the only math that matters is the win. Because if you did, like, if 10 and 2 is unacceptable, then 10 and 3 is untenable. And you lost the bowl game and you're not a big time coach and blah, blah, blah. All the other problems that we have talking about bowl games and people that want to undercut coaches that lose half their team to the opt outs of the NFL draft. And then, uh, like, here's the other thing is guys are going to, like, enter the transfer portal. So you're not going to have a full scholarship load heading into the game, even beyond the NFL opt outs. So the bowl games are meaningless until you lose them. And to me, go to the cotton bowl, get a win, have it be a nice rosy finish to whatever, have Sean Clifford and uh, Drew Aller on the field at the same time. They can split reps. One of them can block for the other. I don't care. Like you you need to get the win in these bowl games. If you don't go to the playoff, because that's all that matters. I agree. And especially at this level of the power five to the point that vice press says playing on new year's day is the only recruiting tool that remains when it comes to the bowl season for this level of college football. Now, granted there's plenty of other teams that are out there happy to go to the Duke's Mayo bowl or something like that, because it's going to help a group of five team recruit, et cetera, that you get them on TV. Could they go to the orange bowl? Yes. Yes, they could. (laughs) Yes, yes, Matthew. I, I don't know if you missed my rant earlier or if you missed Nate's on Monday, uh, but sure, the answer is yes. If if you want them to, yes, yes. they could absolutely yes go to the orange to all. Why not? Here's the thing I think, T. Frank, in all seriousness, is that Penn State fans are saying, oh, we want Bama because it's the, the, the rose-colored glasses situation. You finish 10-2, and two, oh, they have two losses as well. So what right. if we played Alabama? What if they had a bunch of opt-outs? What if we beat Alabama? Like that brand name is big. I think the brand that is across the field from you is what is going to matter and if you can beat them. I saw projections a few weeks ago from Brett McMurphy uh, from ESPN talking about playing potentially UCF in a major New Year's Six Bowl game. I don't think that does much for you in terms of recruiting. I think it does a lot for UCF because UCF is a growing brand and is obviously changing conferences here very soon. But if Penn State draws any of the teams that we really just talked about, LSU, Oregon, Utah, not so much, but Utah, USC, Tennessee, even without Hendon Hooker, not trying to be disrespectful, but just saying. And on top of that, Bama, LSU, I mean, like there's all these teams that could be in the mix that if you actually beat that team in a New Year's Six Bowl game, or at least you're competitive in a loss, that does a lot. The issue for me, T. Frank, is you just snuck by Michigan State Kind of. I know 35-16 looks better on paper than what you actually watch. Like That that wasn't like the most convincing win. And there have been a lot of games like that this season where you're like, oh, you didn't blow the doors off of really anybody in your conference. So, Well, offensively. So that's I I think you make a good point. Like We have to parse these out because they won 55-10 over Rutgers or uh, over... uh, who was it? I'm forgetting all the blowouts. Gary They're wants all... the Orange Bowl simply out of convenience. And that <laughs> I respect because yeah. having once lived in Orlando and Penn State playing uh, Kentucky in Orlando, I was very yeah. excited about that. But Nate brought this up on Monday. That's a great point. Gary wants to go to Naples. So Penn State fans travel. 
and the Orange Bowl would love to have 50,000 Penn State fans come to the game. And Penn State draws well on TV. They do well at bowl games. So any bowl you want to go to, there's a chance that that committee could select Penn State. If we beat Alabama with Sean Clifford, Nick Saban should retire. <laughs> Wouldn't that be great? Future NFL quarterback Bryce Young against future NFL quarterback Sean Clifford. As someone who you know works in the world of professional wrestling, where often in games or matches, your career is on the line. What a stipulation that would be for a bowl game. <laughs> if Nick Saban loses, he must retire if he falls to Sean Clifford. Oh, my God. Uh, I got another one here in the Super Chat. Thank you very much. Uh, predictions on who you want PSU to play. And, Eli, thank you. We've been talking about this for, for quite a while here, and there's yeah. a lot of different teams that I think you could see Penn State playing. It is – I know it's a cliche cop-out, but it's a little too early still to even be having these discussions because you do have to get through the conference championship games. A lot is going to have to happen. We don't know how big of a hit this Ohio State loss to Michigan is going to be. Um, yeah. Oregon lost today. Clemson lost today. Like There have been some big ones. Tennessee, you were talking about it a moment ago, T. Frank, without Hendon Hooker, is not the same Tennessee. So there, there's just still so much that has to happen. I'll tell you the team I want them to play. Utah would be a great matchup. Hmm. This is a lifelong dream for my wife. She, wants, she went to Utah. She is a Penn State fan. Um, after, you know, I have beat her over the head with Penn State knowledge for so many years that she's a fan now. She wants that to happen, and because I love her, I want that to happen for her. So I'll say the team I want them to play is Utah. So there you so go. That's the totally selfish reason. Nobody else cares, but that's how I feel about the Bulls, is that maybe you shouldn't care so much about the Bulls because nobody else seems to care about them unless they're in the college football playoff. So the good guy wins one is already booking it PSU versus Utah in the Cotton Bowl. Here's my question to you, Frank. What is your household like if Penn State were to beat Utah in a New Year's Six Bowl game? If Oh, uh, I, I, I think Would you Zoe, survive? I think Zoe would be rooting for Penn State, honestly. Wow, okay. <laughs> That's good. I'm just saying. She watches all the Penn State games. We get to some of the Utah games because they're in the middle of the night. Everyone is on board here. Utah, this is Penn State. Your own wife is in the chat. David, she's here. dominating like the chat all of a sudden. She's all over. We got Nate in the chat. We got uh, Stephen from the parking lots after the Penn State game. Oh my! It's God. a holiday here in the chat. Everyone's showing up. Oh gosh! So Penn State concludes the 2022 regular season, ten and two. You beat Michigan State, which, frankly, I felt a little like eh, good about. Did the we game even talk about the game? <laughs> a little bit, but I mean, honestly, we're giving the people to? what they want. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah. Any last takeaways? Any burning issues from this game that you'd love to vent? Um. Yeah, I do want to talk about the receivers a little bit because I was thinking earlier this week the way they replaced Parker Washington was moving Mitchell Tinsley in the slot and Keandre Lambert-Smith shifted over to uh, Tinsley's spot. Essentially is how that worked. And uh, it did not go well last week. Um, but it did this week. Uh, Lambert-Smith had one of his best games, five catches, 83 yards, and a touchdown. So I want to give him credit for playing tougher this week. But in general, that receiver position to me is a complete unknown. We talked about... 2023 this team's competitive there is a lot that needs to be decided first off is drew aller good because everyone says he's good everyone says he's better than clifford this year is he 
Nobody knows that. You can say you know that, but you don't know that. We know he has great traits. We know he has some flashes of unbelievable talent. But to be a great quarterback, you need to be good at everything. Or you need to have some overwhelming things that you do well that override your negatives. And we just don't know. Like That's a total wild card. The supporting cast around him, even if Parker Washington comes back, they need to find speed at receiver. If this was, as somebody said in the chat, Keandre Lambert-Smith's breakout game, then Penn State is great. But what if it isn't? They've got some young guys that need to step up. Um, you know, I'm excited about some of those guys that they brought in the class of 2022. They moved Christian Driver over, um, and he is now a receiver going forward, which, by the way, his dad is a top-five favorite NFL player for me growing up, and he was at Penn State practice on Wednesday, so that was super dope. That's one of those, like, I don't get starstruck a whole lot, but I was like, yeah. dude, that's Christian Driver. That's, a, uh, that's Donald, oh, Donald Driver. Look, Donald Driver from the Green Bay this, Packers, yeah. Look at this, Donald Driver. So, the, to my point... Um, receiver is going to be a big thing next year transfer portal is going to be a big thing for the receiver and they need to find some speed they need to find a guy that has a bit of the it factor which is a lame way of saying a guy that gets open and makes catches and also gets big yards because you can't rely in big games just on your tight ends to make plays competent teams aren't dropping safety coverage and giving you wide open plays so you need to be able to win on the outside Penn State's corners are going to be great, but on the other side, they need the receivers to be great too for everyone's dreams to come to fruition. Um, so that's one thing from today. On the defensive side of the ball, uh, Abdul Carter is overwhelmingly good. Mm -hmm. um, but if there's one area I think that has shown up throughout the season so far, his coverage can improve. And I, I think that's going to be an area where he's going to get a lot better this offseason because he's a guy that does not rest like, he does not just stay one thing. He has been getting getting continually better at everything throughout his career. So that's something I'm looking for next year. And then Kalen King, is he an All-American? Is he a first-round draft pick? I think, you know, Joey Porter Jr. is going to test that this year. But Kalen King, to me, could be the first, like, top 15 draft pick for the, for the Nittany Lions. He should have had about three interceptions today. He's just so damn good. Uh, and I don't want those things to get lost in the shuffle. We talked about the defensive tackles, but middle linebacker is another thing that they're going to have to work out. Does Carter play the mic? How is that going to work out? Do they want to do they want to play him and Kobe King there? Because it feels like wherever Car Abdul Carter goes, those are all his reps. Mm -hmm. He's the starter there. So do you put him at Mike and then figure out what you do with uh, Abdul Carter or with Kalen King or Kobe King? Excuse me later. Um, what? How do you work out those linebackers? Because they've got a lot of body types that can play the Sam position, the field backer. I'm not convinced they'll they'll stay with three linebackers. I think they still want to play as that being a safety body type. Um, so I, those are the interesting things I'm looking for from this game and then moving forward, maybe even into the bowl game and then in the offseason. Those are the things I'm looking at for this team moving forward of how they're going to shape this roster to be what everyone wants it to be next year those are some pretty critical areas they've got to get worked out there's a lot of positivity a lot of reasons to be positive going into next season i do want yeah. to acknowledge showtime 53 thank you for your donation uh doesn't uh manny diaz defense scare the bejesus out of you we addressed <laughs> this a little bit earlier on to the point that um yes absolutely i think he, it's one of the best defenses in the country and a lot of that is because of the scheme uh i think that manny diaz is dialed up he's got great pieces but 
as this team gets better, it's going to be an even better defense. I know that's kind of a cliche, but this is not the most talented group of individuals ever fielded on a Penn State defense. And I think the scheme really helped this season. You didn't have a ton of guys, especially in the front seven, that could win one-on-one matchups just because I'm a better athlete than you. The scheme helped. So I sincerely hope we see Manny Diaz uh, as a Penn State coach for a long time. But we'll see what happens. Um, We do want to wrap up here. T. Frank, thank you so much for having me back time and time again to do this. I appreciate you. I appreciate Blue White Illustrated. This has been fun. Um, Again, Penn State winds down the 2022 season, uh, finishing 10-2. and They win on Senior Day by a score of 35-16. to I want to thank you all so much for joining us. Stay tuned to everything here on Blue White Illustrated throughout December, and we'll see you again once it winds up. Thank you very much for joining us. Madness is here. Say goodbye to busted brackets because FanDuel lets you bet on every game of the tournament. Whether you're betting on a big upset or a one seed, it's time to go dancing on America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets if your first $5 bet wins on FanDuel. That's 200 bucks to use on point spreads, Money lines. You can even pick who's going to win it all. Just visit FanDuel.com slash on three and bet on college hoops until they cut down the nets. Must be 21 and older and present in select states. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued as non-withdrawable bonus. Bets that expire seven days after receipt. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. FanDuel is offering online sports wagering in Kansas under an agreement with Kansas Star Casino LLC. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit fanduel.com slash RG in Colorado, Iowa, Michigan, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Illinois, Kentucky, Tennessee, Virginia, and Vermont. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP or text next step to 53342 in Arizona, 1-888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org slash chat in Connecticut, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, 1-800-522-4700 or visit ksgamblinghelp.com. Dot com in Kansas, 1-877-770-STOP in Louisiana. Visit mdgamblinghelp.org in Maryland. Visit 1-800-GAMBLER.NET in West Virginia or call 1-800-522-4700 in Wyoming. Hope is here. Visit gamblinghelplinema.org or call 800-327-5050-424-7 support in Massachusetts or call 1-877-8-HOPE. NY or text HOPE NY in New York.